Hello and welcome to Strange Stuff. My name is Andy. And uh, I'm Mark. today uh, yeah it does seem a bit what what's going on with your face uh, i've got the sunshine coming in you're not growing a goatee are you you're not doing a rolf harrison oh no i haven't had a shave <laughs> <laughs> i've been off work a couple of days have you have you been, been sick andy um well i've got another blood clot in my leg oh no what yeah, I, I I knew it was there. I could feel it coming a couple of weeks ago, and um, I was like putting off <laughs> going to the hospital because who last time it worked out so well by not doing anything. Yeah. Well, who wants to spend all day in a fucking hospital? So I was trying to make appointments with um, like the Vaud Centralen. Yes. And I finally managed to make one in a village called Biske, which is about. 35 kilometers from here yes so i had an appointment with them on tuesday morning and i went to see them and after spending about an hour and a half with them of course they sent me to the hospital where i yep. spent the next six and a half hours yes as i suspected i would and um yeah they sent me home with more medications and put some injections in my belly and I've got a, I'm basically supposed to stay off work until it sort of breaks down a bit and I can sort of walk around all right. So uh, where is it in your leg? It's not the same leg. Yes, yeah, same leg. It's in the calf this time and behind the knee. Yeah, but your leg's going to need to be amputated. That's the downside. Well, no. But that <laughs> will save you a bit of money on shoes because you don't have to buy a pair, will well, you? Well, the, the thing is, with um, only having one leg, you can actually steal a shoe from outside the shop. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that, actually. So who needs two fucking shoes? <laughs> Let's hope you lose the right leg. Oh, dear. Well, that's not good, for God's sake. Who needs a leg? It is aggro. Anyway, I'm back on the pills. All right. So uh, what Fucking do they 100, do? 180 quid I had to pay for, like, two lots of medicine. Oh, really? I'm... So there is a limit. When you say 400 quid, I thought there was a limit of uh, 250 quid, 3,000 kroner. I think it's about 3,000 something. It's closer to 400 quid than it is to three, I think. All right. Yeah. All right. Oh, that's not good, Andy, I have to say. So you don't have to wear a sock again, or are you wearing a strumper? No, no, I've just got to take the medication. It's, it's. I mean, it's not in a as dangerous a position as the last one. Uh, they weren't too worried about it. They didn't want to keep me in or anything. So uh, this time it was um, in your leg, whereas before it was in your nuts, wasn't it? Well, no, it was in my leg, but it was going up into my stomach. Oh, it was, was it? Yeah. Heading towards your brain. Not yeah. that that's worth much. 
<laughs> even if you had a blood clot in the brain, no one would ever know the difference. Well, if I had a, a blood clot in my head, it would miss my brain by about three feet anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, well, uh, talking about blood clots, I don't know whether I should mention it. Anyway, someone that we are an acquaintance of uh, had a stroke the other day. Oh, uh, but, uh, well, I'll tell you, Gosh. Phil and I went out for lunch. Yeah. And the person there had uh, had a stroke. But, miraculously, the only thing that was uh, affected, he recovered quite quickly, was his peripheral vision. Uh, I said, look, that's got to be a warning sign. You've got to change your lifestyle, mate. I didn't put it in those terms. Uh, but um, he said he works between 80 and 90 hours a week. He can't retire. He's 67. He's got a big BMW parked outside. Yeah, and he's got an expensive Thai wife. <laughs> and probably a think... couple of Thai girlfriends. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. One anyway, the, so that was each, that. Man. But uh, as I say, I actually met up with Phil. Oh, so how is he? I thought it was actually Phil you were talking about for a minute. Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, Phil looked um, remarkably fit um, and, well, he was having his car serviced. So, um, yeah, we had a lunch together, had a good chat. He uh, very much enjoys uh, the podcast still. I can't remember exactly how I put it. I think he said, you're shite and I'm great, but I can't quite remember what he said. Yeah, <laughs> his I'm exact sure. words. I'm sure, that was verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, no, so that was a bit of a laugh. And other than that, I've been um, doing uh, plasterboarding. How exciting. Oh, so you got your chipboard cut up then? Yeah, the uh, chipboard is up and the, it's now invisible behind a layer of plasterboard. Oh, so it's time for decoration. Uh, I've got to do, uh, what's spackle called in English? Um, pl uh, filler. It is filler, polyfiller. Sort of no, thing. sort of. You know how they spackle between yeah, the uh, yeah, Yitzweaver, the uh, plasterboards. They don't do that in in England. They do. No, they don't. They put a skim oh, over that's the whole right. thing. That's well, um, yeah. They put tape over the join and then skim the whole, the whole wall. Yeah, that's what Jonathan used to do. Plasterer. Is is that what you're going to do? Get Jonathan in? No, I'll do it myself. It's as I say. It's only the joins. You don't put a skim on. If you did, I would have to get someone who knows what they're doing. I'm just get, I'm just doing the joins, spackle the joins. Are you going to use that meshy tape? Yes, I am actually. But funnily enough, that's no longer approved as a building material for new builds. I can't remember. Uh, funny enough, I saw Anna Lee as well. She was explaining to me. There, I can't remember the reason she gave me, but she said new builds. It's no longer good, Shent. You have to use a paper tape as opposed to the fiberglass uh, uh, mesh. Oh, it's health and safety. Oh, I don't know no what doubt. it is. Whatever it is. It's green, um, it's green regulations. Green, nothing to do with being green. Of course it is. You can't use fiberglass anymore. It's nasty. Yeah, but it's in, it, it's in a net. You don't actually... I don't think it is. I don't think it is fiberglass. Did I say fiberglass? Yep. Uh, I think it's made of nylon or something, actually. Even worse, plastics. Could be, Yes. Um, so that's my week. Uh, I've been changing tyres. 
Yes, I know it's unfortunate that the ones I'm looking at all, all the time are the least desirable. Oh, yeah, you can have my view. Oh, that's better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, um, uh, on bicycles I was changing from winter tyres to summer tyres, and then the forecast came bicycles. in. Bicycles? Yeah. Well, you've got winter tyres on your bikes. Ilva does, yeah, so she can cycle to work in the winter. Looney. Yeah, well, I don't agree with it because it's not you falling off the bike. It's someone else skidding into you that's the problem. Yeah, I've actually got my bike out. It's parked outside right now, fully charged. Really? Yep. I took and it for a little spin yesterday. Just down oh, you to did, the post, did you? Just down to the post box and back. It's what, the 20 metres? It's about 200 metres. To the post box, it's yeah. 200 metres? Yeah, it's a little bit of a trot. Holy schmoses. Yeah, it's good to, uh, you know, do a couple of battery cycles so you know it's working properly. Yeah, it was actually completely dead. But I, I did charge it when I was down at Christmas. Yes. So it's, it was fully charged at Christmas and it's just sort of slowly died since then. But now but it's it was, fully charged again. Well, that's the thing. You've got to check it does hold the charge now. Yeah, well, that's why I've left it outside. It was, it's been outside all night. Lithium-ion batteries are a little bit temperamental. Uh, I've locked um, it. I've actually locked it, but I don't really think I need to. <laughs> well, you never know. You might get a passing elk who fancies a bit of a ride on such a smart bicycle. Yeah, I don't want to get it stolen anyway, because no doubt I'll have problems claiming for that. Indeed. Have you got tyres on it that are still on it without being punctured? So far. Good. Touch wood. It's very da- it's very dangerous territory where I live though for tires because well it's all gravel and stone and yeah you're right actually and those tires aren't unfortunately oh actually you know they do make those mountain bikes now with balloon tires yeah you might be able to get a proper mountain bike tire for it yeah but I might have to change my mud guards or remove them. You might fit. do, but I'll tell you what it brings to mind. Funnily enough, the image I have in my mind, not you, but your bike, would be like something out of The Great Escape, Steve McQueen. Well, it is kind of like that anyway. I mean, the problem with changing my tyres is because they're four-inch white walls, they look really nice on that bike. And to change them out for sort of off-road mountain bike... Yeah, no, I was just thinking the, it. I was just lines. thinking of using it, being able to use it with confidence... Well, I mean, it's not for confidence, it's for posing. Yeah, but it's not much of an image if you're standing there with a puncture, not going anywhere in the middle of the forest. Yeah, waiting for you to drive a thousand kilometres to come and get me. <laughs> yeah. Well, unfor- that's unfortunate because you can't make it there and back, can you? Where and back? To, to town and back. No, I can't. I could get to town, but I You'd would have, have to, to stay char- overnight and recharge would, it. Yeah, I would have to basically have to stay overnight and recharge it. And I intend to do that when the summer is here. Yeah. Uh, at least once, but I'm going to make sure that I've got a, a backup ready at the end of a phone in case I do need to be picked up. Exactly, support driver. Because if I break down on the forest road, which is 20, 20 kilometres long, I could literally go four hours without seeing another car. Yeah, yeah. And even if you did see a car, there's no no guarantee they're going to stop for you. Yeah. Not so, with that goatee, anyway. Some dodgy looking dude. Exactly. So, well, one piece of good news uh, this week, nothing to do with us, but uh, global news related. 
That was a hell of a bloody settlement that Fox News did. Nearly $800 million. Well, they settled out of court. Yes. They, they, they chickened out the uh, morning of the court case. Oh, I'm in the wrong game. <clears throat> so they settled, I think it's Dominion or something, is the name of the uh, voting machine thing. That was $800 million. There's another case pending where the company is going for $2.5 billion. <laughs> Uh, that, that's waiting to start now. Can you imagine telling someone you're going to I'm sue not sure them? I understand. What? That was Siri. I'm not sure I understand, stupid machine. Can you imagine telling someone you're going to sue them for two and a half billion dollars? Yeah, but, you know, it's fine. I mean, Fox News, I think I was uh, reading that uh, News Internet, whoever the parent company is, have got about four billion in cash, they reckon. It shouldn't be legal to own that much money. Well, uh, more importantly, it shouldn't be legal to control so much media. Yeah, that's true as well. So uh, it's all well and good. You keep on about um, freedom of speech, which I completely support, but you do have to take responsibility when you talk bollocks. Um, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you haven't been... I've managed to talk bollocks... I've managed to talk bollocks for 60 years. That's right. And get away with it. Talking of talking bollocks, though, um, I did mention it to you, but I'd like to mention it to our listeners. If you remember the week we did the moon hoax episode... That wasn't a hoax. That was a hoax. And it was that hardly very, an episode. That very same week, Richard Branson pulled out of the space race. Coincidence? I think not. Well, when you say he pulled out, he went bust. He gave up. He gave up. He said, what's the point? And he said that there's fucking nothing out there. Oh, uh, he bollocks. was listening, was he? Yeah, of course he's a listener. It, does that mean that that Battlestar Galaxia or whatever the hell it was, is that stopped as well? That's a TV series, Battlestar Galactica. Well, what was Branson doing? Passenger rides to space or not space, as we were oh, discussing at yeah. the time. He was doing high altitude, turn off the engine and pretend you're in free fall. <laughs> Bollocks. <laughs> oh, and of course, poor old Elon, 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 poor old Elon, his big piece blew up. What is knob rocket? He's not the knob rocket, that's Jeff Bezos. Is it? No, Elon, Elon Musk has normal shaped rockets, but he was testing the biggest rocket that's ever been launched. And it did actually get off the ground for about 59 seconds. <laughs> and then it all started going pear-shaped. But, you know, in and spite of the, what I... For the cost what, of that failed launch, he could have probably fed the whole of Africa. Uh, I have a feeling it was a couple of billion Jesus. that just blew up. You know, I'm always going on, well, as you are, on these billionaire people. Listen, I'm always on their backs, but I realised something the other day. Oh, dear. I actually work for one of them. What do you mean? Well, the guy who owns the company I work for is one of these secret fucking billionaire spies, secret villains, isn't he? I don't know. Obviously. Is he, what nationality is he? You don't have to give his name. Well... If I tell you the nationality, you'll guess it pretty quick. But, I mean, the owner of my company is obviously not poor. No, hang on a second. I don't have anything against uh, rich people. Relatively, I'm well off. What I have an issue with is people like um, Bezos, who makes their employees pee into bottles because they're not allowed to take a break. That's what I object to. I don't mind people 
having money and him, for instance, giving people like you, of all people, a job and paying you a half-decent wage. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't have to pee in a bowl. You don't. I mean, no, it's just the exploitation aspect that I don't uh, get on with at all. And uh, I don't. it's just so unnecessary. They, they can afford to pay all their employees a decent wage, so why don't they? It's just... Because the, the rich are the greediest people in the world. Well, no, but they don't have to be. But they, they can't help it. No, but they're not all like that. They, they get to a point where they think, I am so much better than everybody else. Why no. am I even giving them the crumbs off my table? No, that, no they're the ones that you don't have to be like that. And, and, and no, funny you don't enough, have to one be of like the that, richest. But they become no, like that. No, they don't have to. And I cite one example, Warren Buffett, who should be one of the worst because he's made his money through uh, uh, investments, banking, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and basically buying up companies and breaking them up and costing no, people no, their livelihoods. No, 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 nothing to do with that. He doesn't do any of that. No, he's not an asset stripper. He's a, he's a straightforward value investor. Is he a dance stripper? <laughs> he's not a dance stripper. I've never stripper. seen him on in stage in any of the clubs. Anyway. I he is a completely ordinary bloke who doesn't think he's special in any way other than being able to pick stocks. Whenever he's being interviewed, he's always playing down his wealth. He eats in normal restaurants. I, th- I don't think it's him that drives you the old Volvo. I think that's... Have you ever seen him in the tie? <laughs> no. Well, then in he doesn't, tie, does he? Mean? Yeah. If you haven't seen him there, he clearly doesn't eat in normal restaurants. He does. He eats at the local steakhouse in the town that he's lived in for most of his life. Steak, you say? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they don't have to. You don't have to be a Jeff Bezos. Okay, but there are a lot of Jeff Bezoses out there. I'm not saying that you're, you're absolutely right. When you get super wealthy, you do get this sort of God's. What, what do you call it? God not God syndrome. Complex, thank you. God complex, where you you think you're you are literally a better human being than other people, which is of course insane. Anyway, so uh, that was uh, poor old Elon's week, ended with a bang. But um, oh, other than that, Dominic Raab getting into English politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, they released his uh, bullying report yesterday. Oh, and was it glossed over? Uh, well, the media this morning is on the back of Rishi Sunak as to why they haven't, uh, why he hasn't sacked him yet. Well, because they went because to school Rob together. has refused to go. Yeah, but they went to school together. I don't think they did, actually. They sort of did. There might have been different schools, but it was the same school system. No. They're members of the Tory party. They're never, ever going to sack each other. No, no, I would imagine Rishi went to somewhere like Winchester or something like that. I don't think Rob went anywhere special. He's a no-mark. Well, they're all no-marks. Uh, yeah, obviously, of course, because they're mean, Tory politicians. Rishi, but... Rishi pretends that he's the son of... I think he is, actually. He's the son of a uh, financial A shopkeeper. What do they As call you him? were. Not financial What went wrong? why is it Rishi ended up as one of the wealthiest men in England and you live in an isolated house in the middle of the forest? Well, because he went to public school where he was abused by teachers who could point him in the right direction, whereas I was only abused by teachers who knew nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. When I went to school, we were told... We could be milkmen, coalmen, paper boys, and if we worked really hard, we could work our way up to delivery driver. 
when he went to school, he was told about lawyers, doctors, tax avoidance, and all sorts of other stuff in the city that we didn't even know existed. We were, we I, were very much kept in our place when I was at school. I wonder if there, there is an element of truth in that, actually, that people's expectations were managed very much depending on the school that you went to. It has to be, <coughs> has to be true to an extent. It is true. We we never knew any. We never knew the city of London existed. Even though you lived next door to it. Yeah, but we we never went there. It was like there was an invisible force field around it. I mean, look at us. We were wearing our Marks and Spencer T-shirts. Marks and Spencers. Yeah, I know. We what were, we were quite posh, poor people. <laughs> <laughs> it was my mum's favourite shop. I hated it. Everything well, we owned came from Marks and Sparks. Well, you're lucky it wasn't Woolworths. Well, no, Woolworths didn't do clothes in those days. Didn't they? No. Uh-huh. Otherwise it would have been. Yeah. I, I didn't own my first pair of Levi jeans until I was 13 or 14. Up until really? then, it was always Marks and Sparks brushed denim. Oh, my God, it was embarrassing. You've made up for it now, though. Look at that smart training jacket you're wearing today. I can't. It looks like, actually, your goatee has fallen off onto your, um, what is it? Not sweatshirt. What do you call it? Tracksuit top. It's, it's a running top. Why? Actually. Oh, you know, once me, once me bad leg gets a bit better, I might go out for a jog. Has, has Satan <gasps> been using that tracksuit top to wipe his ass with? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> it is literally covered in hair. Everything I own is covered in cat hair. They're, they're losing their winter coat at the moment, so hairs, hairs is everywhere. I've been, I've been waltzing around with me Dyson for the last couple of days, and it's just non-stop. There's, you know you get those dust bunnies on the floor? Mine are the size of basketballs. <laughs> God dear. You need to get one of those special tools. A Dyson isn't up to it. You need a special cat hair remover, industrial strength. Listen, I don't mind having cat hairs on my clothes because it shows that I'm a proud cat daddy. (laughs) Anyone who owns an animal and goes out completely hairless is an abuser in my book. And uh, you don't have any... You can't imagine that that might be related to the fact you haven't had a girlfriend in 15 years because you go out covered in cat hair. Maybe they're not that impressed with this. Uh, Perhaps I don't want a girlfriend. (laughs) Of course you do, Andy. Who would want... Everyone wants a girlfriend. Who would want me? (laughs) (laughs) No, but you are limiting the field, aren't you? It's like if you were a smoker. Yeah, but... What, what, so should I get rid of my cats just to attract some fucking lunatic maniac woman who's no. going to burn my life to the ground after three weeks anyway? It's nothing to do with giving up the cats. It's just a matter of using one of those sticky rollers before you leave the house for 30 seconds. Oh, it's a talking point. I stand at the bar and someone goes, fuck me, you've got cats. <laughs> Did you bring dear. it with you? <laughs> oh, dear. Right, anyway, stop talking about this. And what have you got? Have you actually done any preparation whatsoever for today's thrilling episode? It better be a good one. I have done a little bit of um, preparation. In fact, I gave myself the idea last week when we were talking about Mr. P.T. Barnum. Uh, That's the strange bloke, weird, weird, world of weirdness. Yes, I thought I'd look into him and we could have a little chat about him and how he became the greatest showman on earth, in his own words. 
I don't want to spoil your fun, but haven't we already done this? No, we haven't. Are you sure? Yes. How would you know? We've done over 90 episodes now. How I know, would you know, because the research I did this morning was all new to me. Uh-huh. I mean, we've but mentioned we, he's, he's been brought up in a couple of episodes in passing. He was brought up when we had the the fake giant that was buried, uh, created ah, buried yes, by yep. someone. He just copied it. Yeah, he tried to buy it, first of all, and when the guy wouldn't sell it, he just made his own one. Yeah. So he wasn't a circus bloke. He was that house of weirdness. Well, he, he was also circus. I mean, let's start at the beginning. Do we have to? He was born on July the 5th, 1810. In what? a town called Bethel, Connecticut. And he became a successful promoter after moving to New York from 1841, when he was 31 years old, to 1868. He ran the Barnum American Museum, which featured, of all things, the Fiji mermaid, which... That, that is, is hopefully not a Japanese mermaid. It it's abs- more of the Danish-style mermaids. It was, I think, a Japanese mermaid. He definitely oh, was it. Uh, General Tom Thumb and other oddities. What do you mean? Hang on. Tom Thumb, he wasn't an oddity. He was just a short person. He was a little bit more than that. We'll get into that later. In 1871, he launched a travelling spectacle that would eventually become the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Ah, there we go. Yeah. And after an illustrious career, Barnum died in Bridgeport, Connecticut, on April the 7th in the year of O'Brien, 1891. Really? So he lived till he's 81? Yeah. So, sorry, is that the end of the story? We've only got three minutes into it and he's already dead. So, thanks all for listening. (laughs) 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 That's a short short one for today. Rather than than have you asking for the ending, is there going to be a conclusion? Is there going to be a conclusion? I thought I'd give it to you early on so you can shut up and listen to the story. And we'll continue the story after this. And now, a word from our sponsors. (laughs) So, Barnum was born Phineas Taylor Barnum on July 5th, 1810 in Connecticut. He was a natural salesman. He was selling snacks and cherry rum to soldiers by the age of 12. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is, cherry rum. Well, it's rum with a flavour of cherry in it, I guess. I like a bit of rum myself, actually. You should add some cherries, uh, chop some cherries up, stick them into a bottle of white rum and let it ferment for about three weeks. And what does that do? It gives you cherry rum. Mm-hmm. It's flavour. I, I do it with uh, red... Juniper. Red hot chilli peppers and vodka sometimes. Well, I haven't done it for years, but it makes a very nice vodka. Anyway, Barnum moved to New York City as a young man. and he Did tried you just say New York? New York. Did you put a New York accent on? No, because I would have said New York. (laughs) (laughs) Barnum moved to New York as a young man, and he tried his hand at a variety of businesses, including newspaper publishing and running a boarding house. Did he have money in that case? Made money from his sales of cherry rum and snacks. But that doesn't put you in the publishing business, does it? No, but he he was a, a, a great salesman. And he was a natural salesman. And in 1835, his knack for promotion surfaced when he paid $1,000 for an elderly slave named Joyce Heff. Well, this is not nice. No, I told you he wasn't necessarily a nice guy. Claiming 
She was 161 years old and a former nurse for George Washington. Barnum exhibited her throughout the Northeast, raking in an estimated $1,500 a week. Having what? $1,500 a week. Well, for just someone to go and look at an old woman? Yeah. But, I mean, claiming she was 161 years old and a former nurse for George Washington, so people's interest was piqued. Bloody hellfire. That's a pretty nasty story. Does it get better from here on in? Well, Barnum bought Scudder's American Museum in Lower Manhattan in 1841, and he reopened it as Barnum's American Museum. There, he displayed the Fiji mermaid and other oddities of rather dubious authenticity among what eventually expanded to a collection of 850,000 exhibits. What? Yeah. You can't even count 850,000, let alone see them well, in, in a museum. In 1842, Barnum met four-year-old Charles Sherwood Stratton, who stood 25 inches tall and weighed 15 pounds. Uh, sorry, how old was he? He was only four years old? Four years old. This is This is getting worse yep. not only does he abuse old old ladies now he's abusing young children sensing, exploiting sorry exploiting yeah sensing another potential windfall barnum trained the boy to sing and dance and revealed him to the public as general tom thumb the massive popularity of this exhibit led to a traveling tour of europe which included an audience with the british monarch the queen victoria God dear, why would Queen Victoria want to see poor little boy singing? Well, she did have a penchant for the weird and the wonderful, did Queen Victoria. She was, I thought it was horses. She was possibly our, um, our first BDSM royal. BDSM. Bollocks. No, BDSM. <laughs> Bondage. Bondage. D. Dominatrix. Sadomasochism. S. Sadomasochism. I got it. That's pretty impressive. So although he became famous... Was she? She was. She, I mean, this is where the, the moniker for the Prince Albert comes in because she had Prince Albert pierce his jennies. Is that right? Yep. That's why it's called a Prince Albert. Uh, but at the behest of Queen Victoria? Yeah, she was very much um, a physical lady. They didn't tell you that in the V&A Museum, did they? I don't know. I'd never been there. You've never been to the V&A? I don't think so, no. It was literally up the street from you. Who ever visits anything in our hometown? I suppose I did. Yeah, but anyway. you, you went with Nanny. <laughs> Nanny had it's to an find something to do park with you. And a visit to the V&A. She's got, oh, Mark, can you stop asking to see my boobies? Let's just go to the museum. <laughs> hey, very well, Nanny. <laughs> but I want to see them eventually. All right, what are we talking about? This poor little fellow, Tom Thumb. Right, although um, Barnum became famous for championing the weird and wacky, one of his most successful ventures came with the promotion of the Swedish opera singer Jenny Lind in the early 1850s. Well, after, she was normal. After, yeah, but after hearing about her sold-out concerts in Europe, Barnum made the Swedish Nightingale an offer of $1,000 a performance for 150 shows in the United States and Canada. He reportedly hoped to improve his public image as the owner of a dime store museum. It was all about his reputation and his, his utsicht. 
Oh, he... I think I've seen a film about this fellow. Yeah, it was called The Greatest Showman. It was a musical as well. It wasn't, I mean, I, I hate musicals on, on the whole. It wasn't, but... not Hugh Grant, wasn't it? Hugh Pacman or something. Uh, Hugh... Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman, wasn't he in it? Yes. Oh, I, there, my memory's coming back. Obviously, the Alzheimer's has passed. Or oh, the medication is kicking in. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> anyway, it was a risky move since he'd never actually heard Lynn sing. But he launched a public relations blitz, including newspaper coverage and competitions, and his bet paid off, earning him a profit of more than half a million dollars. Really? So he was a smart guy. I mean, to be talking of hundreds of thousands and half a million in those days, you're talking yeah. serious money. Yeah. And uh, all uh, on the back of uh, exploiting uh, very few people, it seems, oh. unfortunate as they may be. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, dear. Anyway, over the years, Lyndon Barnum was suspected of, of having a romantic relationship. And in the film The Greatest Showman in 2017 which had Hugh Jackman as Barnum and Rebecca Ferguson as Lind. But reports suggest that Lind and Barnum's relationship was purely business. In 1852, Lind married her pianist and accompanist, Otto Goldschmidt, staying together until her death in 1887, and Barnum remained focused on his career. Someone was actually called Otto Goldschmidt? Yep. Is that a name? It's just sort of like a caricature of a name. It's obviously a name. I'm guessing he was one of our German friends. Otto what? Goldschmidt. <laughs> Andy Hoch. <laughs> Schnell. <laughs> Do you know, when I'm together with Alex, <laughs> we watch a war film or something. After, I mean, Alex is 32 and I'm 62. And in spite of that, we still have a good chuckle every time. Andy Hoch. <laughs> it's terrible, really. I apologise to all our German listeners. Uh, we definitely I'm joking, have... obviously, we don't have any. <laughs> we actually do. We've definitely got at least one. Oh, all right. Anyway, Barnum himself married his childhood friend, Charity Hallett, in 1829 when the pair were 21 and 19, respectively. They were married for 44 years and had four daughters. Their youngest hang on daughter, a second, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. He was together with the Swedish warbler, no, the nightingale. No, no. the rumours were that they were having an affair, but they, their relationship was purely business. Oh, I see. And but he was married all along. Obviously, if he got if he's twenty one when he got married, clearly yes. he must have been. Yes, they were married for forty four years, and their youngest daughter of four died during childhood. Oh dear! In July of eighteen sixty five, Barnum's American Museum burned to the ground in a massive fire. With all the eight hundred and fifty thousand exhibits, certainly with some of them, I'm I can't be sure whether or not this was some kind of insurance fraud or someone with a grudge or just an accident but he soon opened another museum at a nearby location but this one was also demolished by a fire in march of 19 of 1868 so within three years he lost two museums which seems a little bit suspicious yeah so he retired from the museum business and he teamed up with the circus owners dan castillo and william c coop and together, they launched Barnum's Grand Travelling Museum, Menagerie, Caravan and Hippodrome. A big bit of a title. I don't know 18- what a hippodrome is. A, hip- a hippodrome is like... Is it a big a, arena? Yeah, it's a big open space indoors. 
a in, big open space indoors. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, how do you explain it? It's like a, a just a massive atrium. Oh, so it is. Got, it's got a roof. Yes. As compared to an amphitheatre, which doesn't. Yes. Right. So this was in 1871, and referring to the travelling spectacle as the greatest show on earth, Barnum took full ownership of the successful venture by 1875, so four years later he bought out his partners. He definitely knew how to promote a show. Clearly. He would have made a good politician. So uh, the freak Funny show you should say business, that. is this, what, what was that? Is that gone? That's in the past? Well, Poor old Tom Thumb and such like. We're, we've skated over that a little bit. We're going to come back to that. I'm giving you the biography first, the official biography, and then we're going to delve a little bit into the real P.T. Barnum. All right. Anyway, so he's a, a successful hippodrome owner. Yep. And in 1881, so six years later, he joins forces with fellow circus managers, James Bailey and James Hutchinson. And the following year, they introduced Jumbo... An enormous 11.5-foot, 6.5-ton elephant from the Zoological Society of London. And as with many of Barnum's previous exhibits, Jumbo was a hit with audiences until his death in 1885. Well, that wasn't much long later. That was only four years later. Yeah, but I'm sure the he made The poor his... old elephant only lasted four years. Probably had to do a, a plethora of tricks every day. Or was it Barnum who popped key. his clogs? No, that was... It was uh, the elephant, was the it? Elephant, yeah. In 1887, an ageing Barnum agreed to cede everyday control of the circus, which was rebranded as the Barnum and Bailey Greatest Show on Earth. Now, following Barnum's death in 1891, his Barnum and Bailey show was bought by the rival Ringling Brothers in 1907. And in 1919, the two were incorporated into the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey combined shows. They do love a title. It's a bit of a bloody mouthful, isn't it? Why can't they just say The Circus? Yeah, The Circus in capitals. In May 2017, the circus he founded delivered its final performance. That was the end of P.T. Barnum's lost name. Sorry, I missed it. I was uh, I lost concentration. When was the last show? 2017. Oh, right. 2017, they actually closed up shop, did they? Yep. I would imagine that with the inability to advertise for freaks and use animals, there's not much left for his circus to actually display. Well, it's not quite true, is it? It's just you can see literally anything online if you're talking about horrible, freaky stuff. There's an endless supply online, which is all free. Well, you mentioned... And that's if people want to see it. I'm sure they do, because uh, uh, there must be an appetite for it. There still is. I mean, it, we we still had a circus come to Mora uh, while I was living there quite yeah, often. Yeah, it was hardly a freak a show. No, I know, but it, well, it was actually. I, went, I had to take Hannah once. I, oh, God, it was so freaky. It bored the shit out of me. It was awful. There was a guy with white face clown makeup who came on and played the guitar. He wasn't even funny. He was just showing you how good he was on the guitar. And then he played <laughs> something else. And I, I said to Hannah, are you really enjoying this? <laughs> it went on and on and on. It was fucking awful. We left halfway through. What? So you didn't stay to see the elephants? The ele- we, there was one elephant. It was a baby elephant. It looked insane. 
Well, it probably was insane, unfortunately. But, you know, because of the animal rights activists, there's very few animals left in circuses these days. Yeah, well, quite rightly so. Well, yeah, Who but wants what's... to buddy be in a cage all day long? It's I bad hear... enough seeing them in zoos, let alone them being saying. transported. I hear what you're saying, but how are you supposed to run a circus? <laughs> well, that's the... Uh... Well, what do you mean? There's plenty of... Cirque du Soleil doesn't have any um, animals and they're massively successful. Yeah, but nobody ever dies. At least with the tiger taming, you've got the chance of someone getting eaten. Well, by an amazing coincidence, unfortunately, uh, a Chinese lady did die during the week. Uh, um, uh, she was partnered with her husband doing, ac- uh, what's it called? Trapeze. Not ac- trapeze, high trapeze. And remarkably, if you can believe it, uh, they didn't have a bloody safety net. Well, yeah, but the, the whole point of the Trapeze Act is the danger. If there's a safety net, where's the danger? People people well, are not easily pleased these days. When I was a kid and we went to the circus, there was a safety net and they used it to dismount. But people have, people these days, they, they expect more thrill for their buck. They yeah, well, hopefully not. Uh, that's, that's pretty sad if people actually go to the circus hoping that they're going to see someone die. Well, why do you go to Formula One? I don't go to Formula One to see people die. Don't you, be ridiculous. You do. You're hoping for a Nicky Lauder. Don't be stupid. I've got. I can't even watch those things. In fact, that's there's a point talking about it. Why is there no filter on YouTube that stops you being able to see horrible things? Sometimes I actually click on motor racing things, and and there's the main feature is a t- and I ha- I can't watch it. I don't want to see someone suffering. It's bad enough when you when you see something like the Nicky Lauder crash, even though you know he survived. I, I don't understand people who want to see other people suffering. It's really terrible. So I am an avid supporter of Formula One and absolutely no interest in seeing anybody die. Sorry. If you right. say so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? 2017 was the end of the circus. Was his name still in the title? Was it still the Barnum and Bailey and Pillet Brothers yes. massive circus name? Yes, it was. And you mentioned earlier, why didn't he go into politics? Nor did he? Well, he sought to transform his adopted hometown of Bridgeport, Connecticut, into a thriving metropolis. And he went bankrupt after attempting to lure the doomed Jerome Clock Company to Bridgeport in the 1850s, but he repaired his financial standing through public speaking engagements and additional touring with General Tom Thumb. And he went on to serve multiple terms in the Connecticut legislature and was elected mayor of Bridgeport in 1875. He helped found the Bridgeport Hospital soon after that and was named its first president. So, sorry, this poor little fellow, Tom Thumb, he's obviously an adult at this stage. (laughs) Yeah. Confined to his Bridgeport home after suffering a stroke in 1890, Barnum died on April 7th, 1891. And a businessman to the end... He allegedly asked about the previous night's gate receipts at the circus with his final words. Really? Now, thanks in part to the enduring success of his circus, Barnum is celebrated as a brilliant promoter and a man who transformed the nature of commercial entertainment in the 19th century. But he's not remembered for exploiting 
unfortunates and freaks. Well, he's also remembered at the Barnum Museum in the city of Bridgeport, where exhibits of his life, philanthropic contributions and the curiosities he brought to the public are featured. Mm. I'm always a bit suspicious of philanthropic contributions. It's, uh, I think in a lot of instances, it's some sort of guilt trip. They're trying to, what is it, not wipe clean, but... Um, Anyway, mitigate, mitigate their evilness by throwing a few coins in the direction of charity. Well, when Barnum's name comes up these days, it's mostly for one of two reasons. Hugh Jackman. One of three reasons. (laughs) Either one, because the guy you know who uses the word actually too often wants to show everyone how smart he is by informing them that Barnum never said there's a sucker born every minute. Or B, because your co-worker just saw The Greatest Showman and is totally shipping Zac Efron and Zendaya or Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson or one of the elephants and it doesn't matter who else, they just have a lot of feelings. Now it may shock and amaze you to learn that the real Barnum was a spectacle far more astounding than the optimistic songbird presented on screen. Depending on your perspective, he was a con artist, slave owner who got an elephant killed. So let's have a look at the real P.T. Barnum. Oh, dear. You've got ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the first thing is that he was, if nothing else, a deeply dishonest man who made a living off the gullibility of, of the public. Yeah, is that dishonesty? Well, it is sort of dishonesty. You mean that people were stupid enough to believe that it was a Filipino mermaid or something in the box? Yeah. That said, he did come by his dishonesty, honestly. Uh, He was born, as we know, in 1810 and named after his grandfather, who almost immediately started screwing with him. At his grandson's christening, he gave the boy the deed to five acres of land called Ivy Island. Years of playing it up to the boy and years of the boy telling everyone in town how rich he was culminated in a trip to Ivy Island, which turned out was less magical island of wonderment and possibility and more a patch of land in a swamp covered in acres of poison oak. And ivy. Poison ivy. Poison oak. What's poison oak? It's like poison ivy but made of wood. <laughs> According to his autobiography, he was 10 years old at this time. The road to becoming the patron saint of hucksters was a long one. And before getting into show business, he would Hang work on, hang on. What's a huckster? Uh, a hustler, con man. All uh, right. A shyster. Before getting into show business, he worked in nobler fields, such as a sketchy boarding house employee, a newspaper publisher who was convicted of libel, and perhaps most successfully, the manager of a local lottery. When lotteries became illegal in his home state of Connecticut, he packed up his family and headed to New York. And that is roughly where things started to get gross. Gross? Is that your word? Well, you know what gross means. Yeah. At the tender age of 25, Mm. he was looking to get his foot in the door of pretty much anything. He was working as a part owner of a grocery store when he came across, as we mentioned earlier, Joyce Heath, an elderly slave. The roughly 80-year-old woman was being exhibited as a 161-year-old ex-nurse to baby George Washington but for whatever reason people weren't buying this act and that's where Barnum stepped in 
So she was already, terrible to say, she was already an exhibit, as it were. Yeah, I mean, I'm guessing because she was 80 years old, she wasn't much use for anything except being used as an exhibit to get an income. I don't think many 80-year-olds should be looked upon as how useful they are. They should be... Well, if you're, a... if you're the, and I hate to use the word, owner of the said 80-year-old, you're looking for a return on your investment. Uh, you don't have to explain the economics of the idea to me. I'm talking about the morals of it. Some poor 80-year-old who should be enjoying retirement. Well, anyway, this is, where Barnum's, tea. this is where Barnum stepped in. Reckoning that selling the public on a century-and-a-half-year-old woman was more about branding than common sense. He circumvented the whole it was illegal to buy slaves in New York at that point issue by leasing Joyce. <laughs> what? He sold his stake in the grocery store, paid $500 out of pocket, borrowed another 500 and became the proud owner of a person. Now, weirdly, for a story about buying and selling human beings, things get a little bleak from there. Not surprised. Physically, there's no doubt that Joyce Heth looked like an old woman when Barnum started exhibiting her, but she just wasn't the spectacle that he needed. Audiences up to that point have been unimpressed. So what do you do with a curiosity act that nobody's curious about? Well, if you're P.T. Barnum, you go full on evil sideshow proprietor and start torturing an old woman. What? For starters, I don't think I want to hear it. This wasn't in the Hollywood Hugh Jackman production. No, it was not. For starters, he wanted Joyce to shed some of those pesky extra pounds from which octogenarians so frequently suffer. And to achieve this... He put her on a strict diet of eggs and whiskey. God. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't put a bit of cannabis and heroin in there as well, just to give her the wrecked look. He also apparently figured that while the chances of anyone living for over a century and a half were low, the odds that they could do it and still have teeth left were probably astronomical. So what happened next went roughly like this. Barnum said, You'd look a lot older without your teeth. You should let me pull those out for you. Now he's pirate voice. You got back to the pirate <laughs> yeah, I've, voice. I've transitioned from New York to New York pirate. So to he which, doesn't pull her teeth out. So to which Heth replied, and we're paraphrasing, obviously, no. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine having your teeth pulled out in 1870 or whenever the hell this was? I would imagine they were fairly loosely situated in the gums at that stage anyway. I mean, you know, just mitigating. But anyway, Barnum said, all right, fair enough. How about a drink? And then he got a drunk, really drunk. However drunk you have to be to say, oh, all right, then yank me teeth out. Now, it's impossible to say for sure why this story didn't make it into The Greatest Showman, but it might have been something to do with audiences. <laughs> God, dear. Also, it's the inherent difficulty in juxtaposing a man mutilating an old woman so she'll better suit his needs against a song about accepting yourself no matter what you look like. So Barnum turned Heth into a touring sensation and he made a killing by doing it. And showing her off for 12 hours a day, six days a week, he pulled in around $6,000 a month, precisely $0 of which went to Heth. What? Well, she was a slave. Barnum's methods of advertising were dizzyingly Machiavellian. At one point, he had a story printed in a Boston newspaper ahead of a visit claiming that Heth was a curiously constructed automaton made up of whalebone, India rubber and numbers springs 
that ingeniously put together and made to move at the slightest touch according to the will of the operator. If the impossibly old woman who raised the father of our country didn't pique your interest, a Terminator made of orca skeletons definitely would. So she just got rebranded? Yeah, and detoothed. Now, the exploitation of an enslaved woman in the Free North didn't go unnoticed. When people protested what was clearly a violation of the law, Barnum made it known that Heth was actually a free woman and that the proceeds of her appearances went toward freeing her family in the South and any of the R. Shucks hokey travelling show charm of Barnum's business flies out the window when you realise that none of it was true. Joyce died within a year of going to work for Barnum. Consummate entrepreneur that he was, that didn't stop him. He held a, a public autopsy of her body and he charged 50 cents for tickets. 1,200 people came to watch her being cut open. A year of starving an old lady and forcing her to work until she died left Barnum bitten by the showbiz bug. His next venture was then called Barnum's Grand Scientific and Musical Theatre and it was a travelling show featuring magicians, acrobats and curiosities. Now, we spoke earlier about Charles Stratton, who was the four-year-old boy from Connecticut who had apparently stopped growing at about six months old. Now, Barnum convinced Stratton's parents to let him take the kid under his wing. He taught him how to perform and took him out on the road, only lying a little bit about how he was older than he actually was, and also from England, and also named General Tom Thumb. The ruse bought an audience, and before long, Stratton was performing for Queen Victoria and Abraham Lincoln. Charles Stratton was a sort of poster child for the duality of Barnum's methods. He was a young man with a disability that, at that point in history, would have left him without a lot of options in life. But he wound up a celebrity who died wealthy, beloved and married. And none of that would have happened without Barnum. On the other hand, Barnum could be seen as someone who exploited a little boy, taught him to drink wine and smoke to amuse audiences and, lest we forget, also bought a woman and pulled her teeth out. Mm. Well, it's, well, it's not a tricky one, really. But um, no, it's pretty straightforward. Now, despite the economic crises of 1837, Barnum was doing all right for himself. And using the money he'd put together on the road, he purchased the Scudder's American Museum and turned it into the Barnum's American Museum. And what had been a hit-and-miss collection of natural history exhibits and curiosities was given the typically over-the-top P.T. Barnum treatment. The building was filled with oddities, performers and trained animals, and the advertising was more or less what you'd expect. Visitors were promised sites such as the mummified Fiji mermaid, which was... In theory, the preserved corpse of a cryptid and, in practice, a monkey body sewn to a fish tail. All in all, the museum purportedly saw over 38 million visitors during its more than two decades of operation, a number slightly higher than the entire population of the United States at the time. There was only 38 million people in the, 19, in the 1870s, was there? Yep. Really? In 1840s, yep. In 1865... The museum burned to the ground while fleeing animals jumped from its windows trying to escape. No one knows how the fire started, though it's been blamed on a faulty chimney. The good news is that it was insured, though it's hard to say whether that was true of his second museum that burned down three years later, or his circus that burned down in 1872, or his mansion that burned down in 1857. He must have had uh, pretty high premiums, let's put it like that say so i'm just going to send you a quick picture of hugh jackman 
babe. Is that him? No, that's the bearded lady. Oh, that's the bearded lady. <laughs> during, during his time running the American Museum and the years that followed, he amassed a small battalion of performers with unique and unusual physical attributes. Uh, they became some of his most popular attractions, especially once he was done chumming the waters with aggrandizing lies. The list of his performances is long, and these days pretty troublesome. For fans of the truly heinous... Heinous. 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 There was William Henry Johnson. Now, William was an African-American man born to two former slaves. He had a distinctively sloped forehead that may or may not have been the result of microcephaly. So naturally, Barnum put him in a gorilla suit from the neck down, told him to speak gibberish and advertised him as the missing link. <laughs> the missing link. <laughs> oh, how dreadful. If the racist angle isn't gross enough for you, there's always his stage name, Zip the Pinhead. God, dear. There was also Ella Harper, the camel girl, a woman with knees that bent both ways. There was Chang and Eng, the conjoined brothers, who became so well known, they gave birth to the phrase Siamese twins. And of course, there was Annie Jones, the bearded lady, who, and this is neat, spent her later years championing efforts to get people to stop calling folks with physical abnormalities freaks. In his autobiography, Barnum claimed to have heard a minister speaking in 1847 on the subject of temperance. He said he became convinced of the potential evils of alcohol and famously expressed that he would never drink anything stronger than water when he spoke publicly about the importance of a booze-free lifestyle. This lent credibility to his constant deluge of shenanigans and made him, at the time, a more admirable political figure. Whether Barnum actually believed this is, like literally everything else about him, up for debate. According to the Greeley Tribune, he owned property in Greeley, then a dry city, but his property was nearly confiscated after it was busted twice for unlawful hooch sales while under the management of Barnum's in-laws. And then we get to the elephant in the room, Jumbo. I remember that, that Greatest Showman story. That elephant was a big feature of it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Barnum's prize elephant, and the reason we used Jumbo to this day. Whatever Barnum's thoughts on alcohol, Jumbo apparently loved it and was given entire kegs of beer to drink at a time, sort of visually prophesying John Belushi in a lot of ways. Adorable, yeah, but it was also very possibly a contributing factor to the animal's physical deterioration. Hang on, hang on, hang on. What's the reference to John Belushi, the poor fellow who topped himself, didn't he? Yeah. What's that got to do with anything? Kegs of beer at Animal House, I guess. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking. didn't Didn't he... Drink down a whole keg of beer in Animal House? Now you are testing my memory. Animal House was a film in the 80s, wasn't it? Yes, that was John Belushi's first big one, I think. I don't know, I have to re-watch it. I have to find it and re-watch it. I can tell you about it next week. Anyway, this poor elephant was fed a keg of beer a day, was he? Or possibly more. Studies have found that Jumbo's diet led to deformities and infections in his teeth potentially worsening the animal's infamous episodes of violent rage. He was a bad oh. drunk. Yeah, he was an angry drunk. Now, overall, he's remembered, is Barnum, as a jovial sort of bloke, grinning his way through a life of puckish misdirection and, lest we forget, buying people and pulling their teeth out. 
But there was one thing that he could not stand, and that was liars. With righteousness and the well-being of the public doubtless stoking the fires behind his every keystroke, Barnum wrote, The humbugs of the world, an account of humbugs, delusions, impositions, quackeries, deceits and deceivers generally in all ages, sticking with his theme of overlong titles. And based on the title, it was paid for by the word. (laughs) In it, he outlines the different ways that spiritualists and mediums, con artists and hucksters would defraud the public. He adamantly stood by his belief that taking advantage of people through deception was wrong, saying in a letter, as a general thing, I have not duped the world, nor attempted to do so. He also told people that the monkey sewn to a fish was a mermaid and fabricated a heroic death for his star elephant after negligence led to him being hit by a train, but whatever. He faked a photo of himself with Abraham Lincoln's ghost to help take down spirit photographers like William Mumler, who skewed more on the totally trashy side of conning folks out of their money. Now Barnum, for all of his faults, was a hard-working man who didn't take a lot of time off. He started the travelling circus that he was most famous for until he was in his 60s, so his later years were spent travelling the world. On one of his trips, his wife Charity passed away from heart failure. According to the Bridgeport History Society records, Barnum was in Germany at the time and decided to travel to England to be with a friend, John Fish, during his time of grief. Thirteen weeks later, he was married to Fish's daughter, Nancy, who was 40 years younger than he was. He's definitely a nice bloke. In other slightly yucky news, Barnum cut one of his daughters out of his will when she cheated on her husband, presumably because of his intense dislike of dishonesty not having any sons and wanted to keep his legacy alive he left a good chunk of his money to his grandson on the condition that he used barnum as his last name and by the time he died he was arguably a living folk hero he'd entertained millions been elected to the house of reps and to the office of mayor of bridgeport and sold countless copies of his memoirs and self-help books he traveled the world in search of the peculiar and the incredible and witnessed people and objects beyond the wildest imaginings of most men. He'd even read his own obituary. According to P.T. Barnum, The Legend and the Man, Barnum had talked about how newspapers only printed nice things about people after they died. So when his health began to decline in 1891, the New York Evening Sun apparently decided to do something about it. They printed a glowing obituary for him while he was still alive, just so he could read it. The front page article was titled, Great and Only Barnum. He wanted to read his own obituary. Here it is. Yeah, I don't know. I think the world can do without people like that. In the roughly 130 years since he died, Barnum has become a source of fascination on a par with many of his own exhibits. He's been the subject of books, plays, TV movies, and the all-singing, all-dancing musical spectacular. But in the end... Maybe the most intriguing thing about Barnum is that he remains fairly impossible to define. His collection of human curiosities, for example, could be seen as exploitation of the differently abled, yes. It could also be argued that his providing decent paying work to folks with disabilities meant these people were able to live longer and more comfortably than they otherwise would in a society that had no other support system. Yeah, but that's just bollocks isn't it you know it's bollocks because uh, it actually said earlier about that poor woman who only lived a year having had her teeth out that she didn't see a penny of it yeah because she was a slave but the rest of them weren't 
General Tom Thumb actually died very wealthy. Oh, did he? His propagation of minstrel shows and sensationalist racial stereotypes are, through a modern lens, xenophobic and hateful. But he also rallied hard in favour of the 13th Amendment, agreeing that all people, no matter their heritage, possessed an immortal soul and deserved to be free. So maybe there's no answer to the question, what kind of man was P.T. Barnum? Maybe like everyone else, he was a duality. He was complex hive of actions, positive and negative. To quote James Truslow Adams, there is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us. Maybe a life is too complicated a thing to define as good or evil. Except Barnum pulled the teeth out of Joyce Heth's head and sold tickets to her autopsy. So technically, the guy kind of sucked. That brings us to the end of this week's episode on the life and times of P.T. Barnum. Yep, quite interesting that. Quite interesting. Conclusion, didn't really like the fellow very much. You're not supposed to like or dislike him. You're just supposed to say he had a bit of a life. Uh, Yeah, I suppose so. You mean Um, it doesn't really matter how base someone's life is. If it's memorable in some way, then it's better than not being memorable. Not necessarily. I'm just saying that he was a man of his time and he, he, he... Yeah. He rose, he rose up from nothing and created something from nothing. Whether or not you agree with how he did it or why he did it, the fact is that he actually made a success many times over from things that nobody else had ever thought of doing. <laughs> Exploiting 80-year-old <laughs> women who just want to have a quiet retirement. No, he wasn't. No, he didn't make it all from nothing. He was given five acres of land on that island. Five acres of swampy poison oak. Exactly. Which is probably still there today. I wonder what happened to Swampy. Do you think he's still around? Swampy, the uh, eco-activist. Yeah. He's you probably, don't hear much about him these days. Well, he's, he's keeping underground, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah. lay, he's laying low. <laughs> he's laying low. All right, yes. Yeah. Talking of eco-activists and apropos of nothing... I see that the um, idiots tried to disrupt the Grand National last week. When you say idiots... You know, the... Echo activists did disrupt the Grand National, on which uh, that festival, I can't believe it, three horses actually died. Well, that's nothing. I mean, it used to be like half the field. Well, it's just, you know, I mean... And then people question, oh, what are they doing there? Three horses died. That's what they're doing there. So, How much more reason do you need? What has that got to do with stopping oil? They weren't stop oil. They, they were animal rights activists, weren't they? Or were they stop oil? No, extinction, I'm going to have to check. Extinction no. Rebellion has got nothing to do with saving animals. Well, other than saving the planet, of course, which is a bit bigger picture, maybe a bit too big for you to understand. Can you imagine <laughs> trying to stop horse racing? <coughs> I mean, I don't think. It, it, well, why do people always take the? Well, who's talking about stopping horse racing? Just stopping a bloody race that kills three horses. You well, can they've race already, over on they've the already flat sanit- or on lower fences. They've or already something. sanitized it. They've lowered all the fences. They've taken away the ditches. The favourite actually wins the Grand National on most years now. It used to be any horse's race. 
because the favourite was just as likely to die as every other horse on the field. <laughs> That's not a reason. To, the favourite was as likely to die as the rest. So carry on. But no, oh but all I'm God. saying is they've already sanitised it. It's, it's as safe as it can possibly be. If you can uh. predict, if you can comfortably predict the winner of the Grand National, that is not the steeplechase that it used to be. Yeah, but you're just talking about betting now. Who can most likely predict or not predict the outcome of a horse race? And what I'm saying is if you can say that that horse is going to win, you are, you are saying that all those horses are going to survive and complete the race, but that is going to be the winner. Oh, anyway, I mean, you know, I'm not uh, animal exploitation. I'm a, what's a meat eater? Well, I'm a meat eater, a so I can't be too, um, a carnivore. I can't be too critical, but... Well, I'm an Just animal. Just seeing horses die for entertainment doesn't I'm, seem. To be I'm an animal lover as well, and the horses aren't dying for entertainment. It's always tragic when an animal dies, but I, I don't see how you can cancel a whole sport because something or somebody gets hurt. That means every time a footballer has a heart attack on a pitch, we should stop football. Why do people come up with such absolute bollocks? A footballer is on the football pitch because he wants to be a bloody footballer. The horse doesn't make a, a rational choice. I want to be a, a racehorse. I'll have you know that Red Rum spoke to me a couple of times and said he was more than happy to be a, a double winner of the Grand National. Yeah, I can just imagine Red Rum spoke to you, more like rum. Yeah, Red or Rum. Or Cherry Rum was who was talking to you at the time. Red Rum and Brown Admiral standing in a pub having a beer. <laughs> yeah. And Brown Admiral says to Red Rum, here, do you know what? I was running the Grand National last year. I wasn't doing well. The old jockey was on me back, whipping me ass, and I just wasn't doing it. I was in the I was in the rear of the pack. He said, all of a sudden, something shot up me ass. I raced ahead of everyone else, and I won the race. And Red Rum goes, fucking hell. He goes, you know what? Last time I ran the National, about three years ago, I was doing badly. I was in the final four. There was only three furlongs to go. And I thought, that's it. I'm going to be fucking dog food after this. Then all of a sudden, something shot up my ass. I raced ahead of everyone else and won it. There's this little greyhound sitting in the corner with Arthur Bitter, and he comes walking up to the bar and he says, Excuse me, lads, couldn't help overhearing your chat. He says, I was running at White City a couple of weeks ago. There's eight of us running. I'm in eighth place. I'm not getting anywhere near this fucking hair. And all of a sudden, something shot up my ass. I raced ahead of all the other dogs and won it. And Red Rum turns to Brown Admiral and says, fuck me, a talking dog. <laughs> and now, a word from our sponsors. Oh my God, Andy. <laughs> That's like a dad joke, for God's sake. That was a little bonus for the end of the episode. Anyway, that is the yeah. end of the episode. So I'd like Are to you remind, sure? I'd you like, promise? I'd like to remind everyone... To visit our website at www.strangestuffpodcast.com where you can like, subscribe and do whatever you like with our socials. Send us a, an email, let us know how you feel about the show, if you want us to talk about anything in particular. Subscribe to my OnlyFans. Uh, <laughs> Who would want to see? It's bad enough listening to your voice. Who would want to see you? <laughs> Naked. Look, you, you, if P.T. Barnum can sell a bearded Actually, lady... Actually, that's true. We could we could try a new trend, reintroducing the aspect of freak. In the meantime, have yourselves a strange week. 
And if anyone asks you to go to the circus, make sure you know what you're letting yourself in for. <laughs>